Welcome to Christ is the Cure with Nick Campbell. Here we bring you theology, apologetics, and a resource for growth on the basis of Scripture alone. Sit back and enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is episode 64. And today we're going to be talking about a topic that has been requested quite a few times, and that is my testimony. Um, on the about page of well, the website, um, I noted that I was an atheist who hated religion, or more of an anti-theist, and that I was saved in 2012, I believe I put on there. And um, I've got a lot of requests for an episode on it, and so I put up a questionnaire on Instagram asking for what questions would you like answered and so those will all be addressed at the end of this episode many of them are addressed within the episode so I didn't put them all up and um, at times the timeline gets jumbled for me a lot of things happen there's a lot of factors in my conversion and so I didn't include them all but I included all the highlights so to speak so that being said let's begin now the earliest memory I have of any religious influence in my life, which I think is important in this discussion, was my grandmother who told me that I had a guardian angel that would protect me and she encouraged me to pray quite often. She knew what was going on at home uh, between my parents and uh, that it was a whole mess. And um, so she would encourage me to pray. In fact, she would tell me that my great grandfather was my guardian angel. So uh, from the other side of my family, my grandparents would take me to mass on occasion as they were Roman Catholic. Uh, my remembrance of that was it was boring, a lot of sitting down, a lot of standing up, a lot of weird stuff that I just didn't understand. Uh, my mother and father's religion, as far as I'm concerned, which, um, whenever I say that, I mean, from my perspective and my reflection in my childhood was non-existence. They had no religious influence on me whatsoever. Now, my mom was raised Catholic, if I'm not mistaken, and my father was also in Sunday school whenever he was younger. But in terms of what they imparted to me was nothing, and I don't really know what they believed in that time frame, and I haven't really thought to ask them. My dad just says that he believed that God exists, but it never really went further than that. As for my mom, I know more of what she believed whenever I was in high school, and by that time, it was completely two separate roads. Um, so regardless, um, I remember praying as a young child in the midst of my dysfunctional household, which is a very tame way of describing my household. Um, and I want to note that I have no ill feelings or grudges over my childhood, despite how dysfunctional it was. This, of course, is something that I'm saying for my mother, who's likely listening. And the same goes to my father. But I have spoken to him many times about the graces of God in those days and how those moments were used to mold me into who I am today. So um, I, I see joy in that time. I got over the pain of various things quickly, um, in my conversion, and I thank God for that quite often. I digress. Anyway, I remember praying at many times when I was young, and it was usually in the midst of my parents' fights or a day after being bullied. I was bullied quite often at school, and I was also uh, the, the kind of the troublemaker um, at school as well. So uh, it was this weird dynamic between being bullied and being the troublemaker. I, I was just that kid, I guess. Anyway, I, I prayed frequently enough that I actually had a journal that was dedicated to prayer, and I remember there was many nights that I would stay up past my bedtime um, asking God to help me at school, to stop my parents from fighting, to basically fix everything that was going wrong. And um, at one point, and I don't remember what caused it, but I came home in a fit of rage. I ripped up the journal, threw it away, 
And this was kind of like the tipping point. Um, and this was my so-called realization that God wasn't doing anything. Um, I, I was fairly young here. So this set in really early. In fact, um, it was in this time or moment that periods of unanswered prayers built the basis um, of God wasn't doing anything. And if what I had been taught about God was correct, then God didn't actually exist. It's an easy logical jump for a kid. Prayer was supposed to be the means by which God heard and helped me, though there was no answer. Therefore, I concluded that nobody was actually there. Um, additionally, at this age, I had a heavy interest in mythology. Um, I loved Egyptian mythology. I loved Norse mythology in particular. So it wasn't a logical leap for me to conclude that this God was also just a part of mythology. I was young when this set in, like I said. Um, my precise age, I'm not sure. I want to say somewhere between seven or eight or nine. And um, my memory in this period of my childhood fails me. And the timeline gets jumbled. And I have a tendency to have that kind of memory. I remember moments more than I remember timelines. And it's very, very frustrating, honestly. Um, because moments and ages and all that gets different. In fact, I'm pretty sure at this time, my dad had left. And that was probably one of the factors in that. My dad had left the house. They were separated. And my mom had remarried. And so instead of fixing my parents' marriage or my parents' relationship, uh, God separated Um and so for me, that was probably the tipping point because I'm pretty sure at that age, because that journal I had was one that I had whenever um, my mom was married to my stepdad before they separated. And so this was um, the the culmination, if that's the correct way to say that word, of everything that had happened up to that point. And uh, looking back, of course, now it, it was completely right for them to separate because it was it was pretty horrid in a lot of instances. Anyway, so this seed would basically grow for many, many years until about 2011. Um, so over the years, I would challenge people in my schools who believed in God or expressed a slight belief in God. I would actively challenge the Christian clubs. And in high school, I even self-published a work called The Anti-Bible. Very mature, I know. And this work was basically what I thought to be um, refuting the Christian Bible and thus God. In this time, I continued studying mythology for fun, namely Norse mythology, though I can't remember a lick of Norse mythology anymore beyond the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> um, along with Norse mythology, I enjoyed reading works that I knew would offend Christians, such as the Satanic Bible. Um, I took up the hobby of songwriting. Um, I, I played music for a while. I still play music on occasion just for fun. And uh, I wrote a song in particular about how people should blame God for the existence of evil, cancer, genocide, etc. Evil was an apparent flaw within Christianity, and because of God's sovereignty, I attribute all evil to him. We see this quite often today, don't we? Uh, what is interesting now is that God's sovereignty was one of the easiest concepts for me to accept after meeting Christ. And, um, well, this kind of gives you an idea of my mentality. And I, I was continuously aggressive, always, always starting something. I'm talking like every class. I would find something to nitpick on, about every single thing, and uh, that's just who I was. Um, on occasion, I did get the challenge from someone who believed that I was attacking Christianity because it was true, but I just used the brush off that. No, it's just the most popular religion, which made it more fun. There was more to go after. Um, I participated in some debates on the topic, and I would win by... Not good argumentation, but silence from the opponent. Not necessarily because my points were actually good. Um, and in the end, this basically fed my egotistical atheism. 
Um, I would wear clothing and speak out for the sole purpose of offending Christians. I did it for that reason. And when I reflect on these times, I genuinely enjoyed what I did to people's faith. I would also point to my past and the discussion, my childhood, as proof that God didn't exist, using um, an emotional appeal, the misfortune of my childhood to win arguments and pointing out that life was a matter of the luck of the draw. And I would point out other people's lives, say, look, you had a good life. You had a good time. So it's easy for you to believe in God. I, on the other hand, cannot believe in God because of what happened to me. You just got lucky. That was basically my argumentation from there, which honestly, if you're listening to this, this is very familiar if you've discussed with um, people outside of the faith. Interestingly, um, I didn't start thinking too philosophically until later on. I had a game where I would design the perfect God. It was just kind of a fun game for me, which of course that God reflected my ideas and my will. And this is what man does. Uh, He makes God into his image. Uh, Anyway, I digress. Over the years, this went on. Over the years, I slowly began to slip more and more into drugs and alcohol. And um, whenever I say I began to slip into drugs and alcohol, it at first was not uh, because of the negativity in my life. As far as I was consciously aware, it was because I just wanted to try different things. It seemed like it'd be a fun thing to do, so I did. Um, Which I was never influenced by peer pressure. People around me never influenced me um, in terms of what I did or how I acted. I hung out with everyone. Uh, that I could. I didn't really discriminate in that way. I would just challenge people's religious beliefs. That was the one thing that if you brought that up in discussion with me, you didn't want to be around me, but everywhere else I got along fairly well with other people. So one instance that I want to mention uh, that I will never forget was whenever I was at a bus stop on my way to um, to my drummer's house because I was in a band and we had a show that night. And um, this woman began to share the gospel with me at the bus stop. Um, I sat there. I remember her face. I remember what she looks like. And so this is kind of one of those things that just stuck for some reason. Um, I guess not just for some reason, but for God's reasons. And that'll come back later on. But I sat there and I thought, wow, this is nonsense. And and I pitied her. I I had the audacity to to tell this woman that um, Christianity was a crutch, a coping mechanism for the difficulties of life. And her response was something like, in some sense, it is, except without the gospel, um, you have no life, only death. So um, what I said didn't move her one bit. What she said didn't move me one bit. She got on the bus, and that was that. I brushed it off, and I carried on. So somewhere down the line, I moved into nihilism, uh, which is highly logical within the atheistic worldview. Nihilism is the idea that life is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, there is a positive nihilism, but uh, that's hard to get to realistically um, As whenever I think back on it. For someone who had grown up suffering and with the hope that there was some big purpose for me, this kind of threw me into depression. Um, I came to realize that there couldn't be a big purpose for me in my worldview. It wouldn't make sense for me to have a purpose in my worldview. My purpose is what I made it. But see, this caused a problem as well, because if I made my own purpose, it would be meaningless to make a purpose because there's no big purpose. What's the point of doing something here if there's no end game for it anywhere else? Um... This eventually led me to realizing that my suffering in the past was meaningless. It was in vain. There was no true purpose for it. If I didn't have a purpose, if there was no purpose to life, there was no meaning to life, then there was no purpose for my suffering. What I saw as character building for my big goal in life, for my big purpose in life, it lost all of its point. There was no point anymore. All the character building in my past that I was like, yeah, this is going to make me a better person. I want to be able to fulfill what I'm supposed to do. But there was nothing for me to do. There's nothing like that in my worldview. So at this point, I also realized that the afflictions that I had imparted to others over the years was meaningless as well. And I took this as I took moments from their lives and ruined those moments 
for no reason. I took a piece of their limited life and I ruined it. And why not let them live in ignorant bliss? Why bother them because they have their mythical being to comfort them? Of course, at this time, I couldn't see the issue of morality. I couldn't see that there was an objective morality behind this realization that I had. I had done bad things, and in that, I had the idea that redemption for doing those things was impossible. There was no means of achieving redemption for those moments that I stole from those people. But at the same time, my I was blind to the fact that there was no reason to seek out redemption if everything's meaningless. What's the point of wanting redemption from that? Um, so that was that weird kind of loop that I got stuck in. And, and I think it's important to to express my mentality through all this because that it was important in terms of my journey. Um, so I used my time for evil or for belittling people or using people, and they suffered. I wasted time with their limited life, and I wasted my limited time with no way to make up for it, with no way to redeem it. But like I said, what's the point of redeeming it? I couldn't realize that there was no point to redeeming it, but I wanted it to be redeemed. It's kind of those weird paradoxes. Um, something that is worth noting here is that I obviously had a subconscious awareness of truth. Um, everyone has a subconscious awareness of truth, and I recognize that now that I was living in accordance with that truth whenever I wanted redemption. I acted and lived as though Christianity was something to be argued against. Um, I actively hated the ideology that made up the Christian God, but, and this is a big but, I fully convinced in my conscious mind believed that there was no God. I, as far as I am concerned, as far as I was concerned, I did not believe in a God. Now, whether or not I was operating on this subconsciously is a different thing. And I think we see this all the time in atheists who actively go after God. We wonder, why do you pursue an attack on something you don't believe in? We may think the conclusion, and rightly so, according to Romans 1, that they know God exists and that they are latching out consciously against their subconscious knowledge. Here's the thing. They believe that they are atheists. I am 100% sure that when someone says God doesn't exist or I lack a belief in God, they mean it consciously. That is something to explore later on, though. So moving on, um, between the depression, the drugs, and the alcoholism that had developed, I was living it up so to speak. Um, I would make right choices and do the right thing from that point on, and I would indulge. Um, many nights were spent drinking until the sun rose, and this is the point where the timeline really starts to blur. And so at this point in my life, from basically my conversion, my timeline's all messed up, and it's a shame. So one of the reasons why detailed accounts of my testimony um, I don't give is because this period of time, I can't seem to fully nail down whether or not the timeline is completely correct. I know what happened in a general sense, but the specifics kind of elude me. Um, so whenever I tell you a time here, the time is correct as far as I remember. Um, and I'm pretty sure I can mark some of them with big events. For example, um, what we're talking about right now was my move into um, just indulging and spent drinking and partying, basically. And that began around October 2009. Uh, because my, my band played a pretty big show on Halloween um, downtown San Antonio. And so within this time frame, I was reminded in a variety of ways the words of the evangelist at the bus stop. Without the gospel, you have no life, only death. Now, this stuck with me here uh, because this is how I felt. I felt bland, dark, empty, a bag of chance waiting for decay. And I don't remember the details of how it happened, but there were several factors that eventually led to me quitting the band and moving out to Bandera, Texas. And I used job searching as an excuse. 
In reality, I wanted to be alone. And if I remember correctly, I moved in mid-June 2010. Um, so whenever it comes to the situation with my band, there's a lot of things happening uh, internally and externally. Um, a lot of the things that were happening internally, I was struggling with because I didn't want to talk about I, I Like every person who's going through something, they don't really want to talk about it. I didn't want to talk about what was going on in my head. I put on face and I would do the things. And so whenever I quit, um, I remember everyone's like, what just happened? Uh, but it was something I had to do, especially looking back now. In fact, I had to explain this to um, my buddy Josh um, a couple of years later because I kind of just like left him and he was my best friend in high school. And so, yeah, that, that's just one of those things. So I used job searching as an excuse to leave. Um, so I moved in mid-June 2010, and it was in this time frame that I came to consider myself a partial agnostic, um, or agnostic atheist is what they're called now, I think. I think, um, I remember thinking that it was illogical to be an atheist, because I couldn't possibly know such things, but I still wanted to be an atheist. And it's kind of weird whenever I think about it. So whenever someone asked, which nobody really did whenever you know, you're out and about in life, I would tell them that I was an atheist. Well, why? Well, because I still didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to hear about it. I didn't want to do anything about it. If I'm not mistaken, I introduced myself to my wife as an atheist for that reason. It was easier to be an atheist than an agnostic. Whenever you're an agnostic, you have to explain yourself more. Whenever you're an atheist, you can just say, I don't believe. That's it. It's easier. Um, so I was genuinely an atheist for a long time until about 2010, whenever I was kind of on the fence between agnostics and uh, atheists. So I got a job. I continued drinking, and this went on for a little while. I'm not sure how long. It can't be too long. Um, but everything does blur, uh, blur together here uh, because I really didn't sleep much. I remember being in a state of utter darkness. My, my perception was darkness. I just remember feeling like literally everything was black and gray around me, and my conscience just kept pushing me on the reflections that I had prior about no purpose and about all the wrongs I had done to people, how I would used people for whatever I wanted and um, so I, I was extremely aware of my sins, but I was not aware of the terminology sin. I was not aware of what they were. It kept pushing and peace became more distant and the drinking got heavier. And the amount I was drinking was ridiculous. Uh, I just, it, it was ridiculous. But there was a moment where things became a little bit more clear in the timeline. And it was basically after I had gotten my job in Bernie, whenever I met the girl who would eventually become my wife, uh, she was a light in this world. Uh, and I was drawn to her. Um, she was the most beautiful girl I had ever seen. And as soon as I saw her, I was like, this girl is amazing. Um, though she was, and still is way out of my league. And, uh, I believe it was around this time that God's effectual calling began in my life in 2010. So if you want to kind of note that, I believe that the effectual calling of God began with the spark of light and how all of that plays out uh, it's kind of a mystery, but anyway, in order to be more uh, presentable, I cut back on drinking quite a bit. And Rebecca, uh, my wife, was very straightforward and dis disapproval of the way I drank when I did. Um, in many ways, she was the reason why I was stable enough to seek truth and see truth. Um, and that's just one of the amazing things God did in my life. Um, as time went on from this point, I was somehow shifted into the question of what is truth. This is where that clarity, where I was forced to think because I wasn't destroying my brain with alcohol. I was forced to think about more deep questions. Before it was drink, play music, party, 
go to sleep, go to work if I did sleep. And um, now that I had cut back and I saw Rebecca and I was wanting to be with her, the questions that I had neglected before started coming back. Well, what is truth? And then the morality question came to mind. What is morality? What is the standard? I was left with the conviction that my past couldn't have been meaningless. It just couldn't have. I, I refused to believe that my past was meaningless. Um, it, at the very least, helped me become who I was. The problem was that who I was, um, in my mind, was a terrible person. A sinner. I just didn't know that phraseology yet. A sinner. I was stuck in the conviction with no means of releasing that pressure. Um, somehow in this mess of a timeline, my mother had just been miraculously healed by Jesus from schizophrenia, which rocked my naturalistic worldview even more. Um, so I was still agnostic atheist in this time. Uh, I was a naturalist still, and I was getting more concerned about truth and seeking out ideologies and stuff like that. But it was my mom's conversion from from what I knew her as to a Christian and being healed from schizophrenia that really just kind of like shook my world. And um, just as well, she managed to reconcile all things of her past. She, she made peace with her past. She was healed from an incurable psychological disorder. She stopped doing drugs. And this, this led me into an examination of different philosophies and religions. Um, she's actually going to have the book coming out relatively soon, I think, about her story. And her testimony is something that just blows me away, really. Um, so what I read and what I read about, if I'm honest, I don't remember the details of. I remember reading about religions in the general sense. I read about Buddhism, Taoism. I loved Eastern religions, um, Jainism. And I appreciated the Eastern religions because there was no deity involved. It was, there's karma, there's good, there's bad. And um, you basically live a moral life. It doesn't matter who you follow, really, as long as you do things correctly. Um, so those were appealing because it avoided theism. Uh, so something to note here is that Rebecca, who, of course, is now my wife, um, she was my girlfriend in 2012. We got married in December 22nd, 2012. But her family were instrumental to my journey in different ways. My father-in-law who is easily one of the most intelligent people I've ever met, was a believer, and this baffled me. My mother-in-law's compassion and concern and acceptance was peculiar. And Rebecca was just compassionate and seemed to look past the mess I was. So this kind of got me starting to reevaluate Christianity. So what I thought I knew about the people of Christianity was a bit off, at least. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, from my point of view, Christians were hypocrites, they were rude, they thought they knew it all, and they also weren't intelligent. Um, Rebecca's family basically destroyed all those stereotypes for me. Um, so, and this time my mother-in-law also had the audacity to give me an NIV, which is a Thompson Chain reference Bible, and uh, it was really nice, I still have it. Um, I, and I had thrown away a lot of free Bibles in my day, but this one had my name on it, so I didn't throw it away. Of course, I don't think my girlfriend would have appreciated that too, so I probably played my cards right. Um, I digress. Uh, I would poke around in it on occasion, mostly just glazing over the text, but I do remember one time uh, reading through Romans 1 through 3 one night, and I was just like, nope. I don't want no part of that. 
Uh, which is funny now because I love Romans. And uh, eventually I remember thinking about Christianity and thought, well, if there was any historical figure that is um, admirable and that I would like to be like, it was like Jesus. I mean, he was the opposite of me in the best way possible. I found that appealing. And I think I even made a Facebook post that basically said something like, well, Jesus is cool. If there's anyone I want to be like, it's him. So in this time, I almost got baptized. And Rebecca couldn't understand why I was being flaky about it. But of course, I knew I just wasn't sharing. I wasn't completely sold. I I just wasn't. I don't remember what I thought about baptism, but I knew that it meant that I was in. And I just just wasn't. And so I can't remember how long I was on the fence or how long that mentality went on. And uh, I probably should have consulted Rebecca on the timeline a bit whenever I was making this. But anyway, this will suffice. So I just remember that one night I went out with some friends and we had a good time. It was pretty mild because I had cut back on drinking and I had to drive home. Um, Of course, that didn't stop me in the past before. But regardless, when I left to head home, I remember feeling this wave of guilt of all the questions and all the wrongs and all those things that I had struggled with over and over again. And I just remember feeling terror, which was something that was new to this. Uh, The depression was normal. The the guilt was normal, but this time there was an element of terror on it. And at this point, I had read enough of the Bible to know about the wrath of God. <laughs> and of course, that makes you think of Romans 1 through 3 again. Um, and I remember having the thought, or perhaps a prayer, on repeat, on the drive home, I don't want to live like this anymore. So I got home, and I opened up the Gospel of John, and eventually I got to John eight fifty eight. Very Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. I had ridiculed the New Testament enough to know the story of the burning bush. And through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, John 8.58 brought to life the reality of who Jesus was. He was no longer a mere man in my sight, no longer a mere historical figure, but God in the flesh. Now, this was something weird that I realized after the fact that I didn't know that Christians thought Jesus was God. And I don't know if that's normal for people outside of Christianity, but I didn't know that. And so whenever I read this, I was like, this adds a whole nother uh, element of claim, of audacious claims to the Bible. But here I realized that this was an account of a historical figure. And this conviction became wild and just burned throughout my mind. And this conviction of my sin grew more and more. In this time period, I was faced with the reality that Jesus' call was God's call. Whenever Jesus calls you to him, it is God calling you to him. I understood this appeal, his perfections, his authority. About a week later, I believe, after reading up on the gospel, uh, because I didn't really know what the gospel was, I had heard the word thrown around, and so I looked it up, and I did a lot of reading, and I think Got Questions is one of the places that I went to. Um, And I prayed for the first time in years, in which I begged for the forgiveness of my sins and for the forgiveness from all the years of slander I've spoken against God. In fact, it took me a long time to get over all the slander and all the things I had done um, against God directly, about all the times I had spoken against Him, His Son, and His people, and all the times I had discouraged people in the faith, all the times I had made people stumble. Um, I remember pleading, and I I did not want to live— with this burden of sins. I did not want to be an enemy of God because I knew that I would not win. And it was in this time that I felt a peace I had not experienced before. This was the moment to me that I was saved. Um, and it was weird because it was kind of like, there's a lot of research in the background that kind of led to, kind of led to this. But at the end of the day, it was 
the word of God and the Holy Spirit that made it real. Um, which is probably why I can't remember much of the details of the research nowadays. Um, so the same week I was baptized on July 21st, 2012 by my father-in-law. And that was one week I just can't forget. The light turned on, life made more sense, and things started clicking. Wounds started healing, and uh, things changed dramatically that week for me. Everything. I also remember vividly doing a Bible study sometime after I got married, and I revisited John 8, 58. It was, it was like 3 in the morning, and I just couldn't sleep or whatever, so I got up and I was reading John 8, 58. Well, John 8, and I got to 8, 58. And I remember it hitting me really hard again, but this time, it was different. This time, it was reverent, awesome wonder of this connection. It's like, wow, Jesus is God. He said, I am. He is Yahweh. And it was no longer terror and realization as it was before, but reverent awareness. And it's a great reminder for me. It's it's still one of my favorite verses, if not my favorite verse. And uh, I remember the next morning, Rebecca got him. I was like, man, this was awesome. I had that realization. Yeah, Jesus is God. It's like, yeah, I already knew that, but I had the realization like twice over and from a different perspective. It's like, man, uh, it was just something else. Um, so I always have to apologize whenever it comes to my testimony in terms of the timeline and the specific details, especially now because this is 30 minutes long and I didn't even get into the very specific details. My mind was dark, debased, and ultimately cl- clouded in sin. I remember highlights and sometimes the order kind of escapes me. This seems to be the most consistent order whenever I reflect on the things of the past. In the times that I have told my testimony, this is the most consistent order that I can think of. What I know for certain is between the summer of July 2010 to 2012, I was in some type of process of conversion. So I've kind of juggled this in my mind about regeneration, effectual calling, etc. with my conversion. But honestly, it's hard to pinpoint. Um, effectual calling could have started whenever I started research or my mom's conversion. But at some point, I think I believe... Um, I believe this started whenever I had first met my wife. Um, if you have any ideas regarding that after hearing this, please let me know what you think. Cause I, I've always been really curious about that. And I'd be curious about to hear, uh, what you think, when were you regenerated? When were you converted? Uh, when were you effectually called and stuff like that? Because I honestly find that absolutely fascinating. So some of the questions I received from listeners on Instagram, uh, may have already been answered, but let's take a look at some of them. Um, have you talked to your old atheist friends about God? Has anyone else become a Christian since you shared your testimony? Uh, the answer is, yeah, I have actually. Um, I was probably the most extreme atheist of the people I hung out with. Um, and I talked extensively with a number of people from my past on the topic and shared the gospel with them, including my father. In terms of the second half of the question, actually, yes. Um, I had the pleasure of baptizing my friend Josh, who had been agnostic, and he's actually behind the scenes um, on this show. He runs the website, and he helps me with all the technical aspects, and he'll probably be working on the branch off that we've been talking about. Um, was there a hurtful experience in your past that caused you to be hardened to God? I would say several. As time went on, I only grew colder towards God. Um, things kept building up. Things kept happening and shifting and breaking, and um, it wasn't um, it wasn't a singular event. I think um, even whenever I had decided that there was no God before that, there were things happening that was creating this shell that uh, blocked me off from God. Did you have any issues with the sufficiency or authority of scripture? Honestly, this is one of the first things I recognized whenever I was conducting research. Um, one of the earliest things I accepted was the sufficiency and authority of scripture whenever I was a Christian. 
though it wasn't defined or clear, if that makes sense. Um, I didn't have like the doctrine of the Bible lined out in my head. It's just that I assumed the authority and sufficiency of scripture after becoming Christian. Um, before my conversion, I first accepted the historical reliability of the Bible because you can have the historical events be true. But from my view, the, the miraculous events weren't necessarily true. They were just added in and explained by miracles, but probably explained by, or probably being natural phenomena or something like that. So I believe historically um, Jesus was real and that the events were likely true about Israel and stuff like that. And honestly, you won't find many historians who believe that Jesus didn't exist because of the evidence of Jesus's existence. And so I was okay with that. And I think many atheists are okay with that. They just assume he's just a normal man. People made up a little bit of stories and threw him in there and stuff like that. Um, so it is ironic that the Bible is one of the things I critiqued the most whenever I was, um, an atheist, I have found that since meeting Christ, my apologetic method has heavily leaned on the evidence that supports the Bible. And the more I grow in studies, the more I lean on the sufficiency and authority of scripture, especially in light of the evidence behind it. Uh, my apologetic method has always kind of focused on the Bible since I was converted till now. And it, and it continues to grow as I learn more about the Bible, which is kind of just an interesting thing, honestly. Uh, what would you say to someone who is where you were? I would tell them to stop looking at the church and look to Christ. If you look to the people within the church, you will always find a reason to reject the truth. But if you look to Christ, you'll have a hard time rejecting the truth. You can actually ask Josh um, at Joshua at ChristOfTheCure.org. You can send me an email and you can ask him about his uh, story too if you want. But I pretty much said this to him whenever I was witnessing to him. So uh, I like to think that I'm consistent in that because that was something that many people can relate to is that uh, the Christians in the church, how can it be true? They don't even know what they're talking about half the time kind of thing. Um, so the next question, if you could summarize what truth promise of God that most spoke to your heart, what could it be? Uh, really, it was the fact that I was a new creature in Christ. It was very easy to hate who I was, and that renewal, that being born again, meant and means still to this day so much to me. Um, it's amazing how that works, because we have our baseline of who we are, and that all remains the same. Who we are personally, it all remains the same, yet I was made into a new creature and now my life reflects a regenerate heart towards God. And it's just it's just crazy to think. Um, and honestly, it, it's, it's one of those things that often comes to my mind. It's like, man, I, I used to be completely the opposite of where I am at now. Um, why did you think that God didn't exist? Well, whenever you aren't looking for it, um, it's impossible to see the hand of God. So I think this summarizes it well. From a naturalistic point of view... Things just happen, and for whatever reason, weird things occasionally happen. The naturalistic worldview doesn't allow for God, because God, by definition, is beyond naturalism. The existence of evil was also difficult for me as well. But what it really amounted to early on was, God, as far as I was concerned, wasn't doing anything. Therefore, there was no one there. Someone was telling me that God was knocking on my door, but then I go and open the door and no one's there then what would I conclude? That no one's there, that the person who told me that's, you know, uh, either lying or 
giving misinformation or is delusional. Um, but ultimately, it boiled down to I couldn't see what God was doing. I assumed he was doing nothing, but he was working. And so that was the biggest thing. And of course, whenever you aren't looking for what God is doing, you're not going to see it. You're just not. Um, even as a Christian, if you're not looking for what God's doing in your life, you're not going to see it. And sometimes you can't even see it till last minute anyway, but uh, that's a different thing. Um, was there a moment that you became a Christian or was it a subtle process? Uh, the answer is both. There was a moment where I can say um, I was saved and then there was a tipping point. But to get there was a two-year process. Um, a lot of different things, a lot of different factors that haven't even really been expressed here. And this is what makes my testimony difficult for me. I have to pick and choose what to, what to present. And so for, for this episode, it's kind of just the highlights. At the same time, I also wouldn't call it subtle. Because for me, it was um, continuously a very intense period of reflection and time. And it, it was something else. Um, if not God, what did you believe in? So I was basically a naturalistic hedonist. And then a naturalistic nihilist that attempted to hold on to hedonism, but it didn't work out very well for me. Actually, uh, in the last part of that, I was a naturalistic nihilist who pretended to be hedonist, but it wasn't really satisfying. Um, hedonism works very well with nihilists, and that's kind of how you get the positive aspect of nihilism. But really, I, I just couldn't buy into it. It just wasn't for me. So that's pretty much this episode. If you're on Instagram, you got to ask me those questions. I hope this testimony um, blesses you and encourages you in some way. One thing I wanted to point out, especially, was that the evangelist at the bus stop stuck with me. You may not always see the fruit of your labor in preaching the gospel, but it has an impact at one point or another. I remember that lady. I remember the way she looked like. I remember that line. I remember that time. I remember what I thought, how I felt. I remember that bus stop. I remember exactly where that bus stop is, and I'll never forget that. Whenever you are sharing the gospel with someone, sometimes you're just planting a seed. And I think most times we want to be the one, oh, yeah, you got converted. You you baptized this person. You want to be that person. Um, I was extremely blessed to baptize my friend Josh. I don't think that happens very often. I think a lot of the times that we preach the gospel, we just plant a seed. But I want you to know that whenever you're planting a seed, it does stick. What that lady said to me, whenever she preached the gospel to me, stuck. I didn't remember everything, but I remembered enough that affected me drastically when it came time for God to call me. So I hope that encourages you as well. If you have any more questions, uh, feel free to email me at nick.campbell at christisthecure.org. Also, if you feel led to be a patron of the show, um, you can go to patreon.com slash christisthecure and you will get the perk of getting episodes a day early on Wednesdays instead of Thursdays. And just as well, you will have access to every single episode in the show's history. And um, you don't have to pay an arm and a leg for it. I made sure to make sure it's cheap for those who actually really wanted those old episodes. All you have to do is pay a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. It's like buying a soda store once a month in your grocery bill. Um, that being said, I hope you guys have a great, great weekend. We have a great guest coming up soon. And there's, oh, there's also a book giveaway on Instagram. Go to Instagram at Christ.is.the.cure and enter in to win The Real Martin Luther by Josh Hammond. And I'm giving away three copies. 
just in time for Reformation Day so you get some Reformation Day reading. And that's all I got for you today. God bless you all. Have a great weekend. Adios.